sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Greetings each one. It's good to be here this morning and sing those precious songs. Trust that's our heart, that God's Spirit would be here, that He would fill us. That's my desire. And uh, it's a blessing to see the house well filled this morning. So I trust that God has a word for us today, that you all can be encouraged. Um, I would like to uh, uh, share out of Psalms 56 this morning. And a couple weeks ago, I've been going through a uh, devotional by, um, I think it's Charles Spurgeon. And I was reading one of the, one of the mornings a couple of weeks ago, and uh, there was uh, something that stood out to me there, and I was thinking on it. When I thought about sharing, it came back to me. I decided to, uh, to share that this morning and to look at it. So uh, the title is, This I Know That God Is For Me. This I Know That God Is For Me. And there's a lot in that little phrase, God is for me. And I want to look at that this morning and trust that... Uh, when we're done with this, that you'll see that in a better way and maybe be encouraged by that, that God is for you. That comes out of Psalms 56, verse 9. It says, this is David uh, writing here, When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. What a promise. It's a beautiful verse. So I'd like to go ahead and read this uh, little devotional thing here first before we go into a little bit more of what I'd like to do is go into the little bit of the background of where this chapter or this what this psalm here where David where it came out of the uh, what David found himself in. Um, but first of all, I'd like to read this uh, little devotional here, and it, sa- it says it is impossible for any human speech to express the full meaning of this delightful phrase. God is for me. He was for us before the worlds were made. He was for us, or he would not have given his well-beloved son. He was for us when he smote the only begotten and laid the full weight of his wrath upon him. He was for us, though he was against him. He was for us when we were ruined in the fall. He loved us notwithstanding all. He was for us when we were rebels against him and with a high hand were bidding him defiance. He was for us, or he would not have brought us humbly to seek his face. He has been for us in many struggles. We have been summoned to encounter hosts of dangers. We have been assailed by temptations from without and within. How could we have remained unharmed to this hour if he had not been for us? He is for us with all the infinity of his being, with all the omnipotence of his love. 
with all, with all the infallibility of his wisdom, arrayed in all his divine attributes, he is for us, eternally and immutably for us. For us, when yon blue skies shall be rolled up like a worn-out vesture, for us throughout eternity. And because he is for us, the voice of prayer will always ensure his help. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies be turned back. This is no uncertain hope, but a well-grounded assurance. This I know. I will direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up for the answer, assured that it will come, and that mine enemies shall be defeated, for God is for me. O believer, how happy art thou with the King of kings on thy side! How safe with such a protector! How sure thy cause pleaded by such an advocate! If God be for thee, who can be against thee? There's a lot in that, and with the uh, kind of maybe old English type of uh, how it's written out there, it takes maybe a few times to read through it to really get the full meaning of that, but it, it's amazing, um, and it really blessed me as I went through that. <clears throat> if God be for thee, who can be against thee? So, and I'd like to uh, look at Psalms 56 here. And and this uh, and this was written. And if we go back to First Samuel chapter twenty-one, is when um, some sometime in that during that period of time where David found himself is when he wrote this psalm. First Samuel chapter twenty-one. And what I'd like to do is go back a. a a couple more chapters before that to kind of see where David was coming from, what led up to this situation. And maybe uh, we can try to see where we can, how we can fit ourselves into David's situation um, and maybe how it can apply to us in whatever situation we're facing. Um, David found himself in a very, a very uh, deplorable state, I guess you could say, a very difficult situation. So before chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, we can go back to, uh, I might just kind of give a quick overview here of this. If you go back to, I think it's maybe starting in 17. David was, was a shepherd boy. He was tending his father's sheep in the field. And you could probably say he hardly had any cares, cares in this world. You know, he was just enjoying life, um, taking care of his father's sheep, um, and even as we think of this verse, um, this I know that God is for me, we could think, well, you know, David, he was probably just having a good time and maybe it was just a, a thought in his mind that, yeah, God is for me, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down. But there was, a, there was a reason he was writing this, and he was, it was totally different than that type of situation. But if we go back to, to David there, just a few chapters before this uh, this psalm that he wrote and what he found himself in, um, he was, you know, he was just taking care of his father's sheep. Things were going well for him. He wasn't being noticed. He was just uh, being faithful to uh, to what he was called to do there. And then the whole story of Goliath comes along, and uh, we know that story. So David hears about Goliath, and he doesn't appreciate what's happening with that so he decides to go and kill Goliath so he takes Goliath 
down with his sling and kills the, the big Philistine. And after that, that turned into a pretty big deal, and, and he was made famous just, just like that. He turned from a, just a lowly shepherd boy into this person that killed this huge Goli- or Goliath, this big giant. So after that, Saul, who was king at the time, um, he's like, well, who is this little, uh, I think he called him a stripling, who is this shepherd boy that killed this giant? He wanted to know more about him. So he uh, calls him to, to his house. And Saul was impressed by what David had done, obviously, with, with killing the giant there. <clears throat> so he brought him into his house, and it says he, he didn't let him go back to his father's house. He didn't let David go back to his father's house. Because Saul was so impressed with him, and he wanted him to stay there and uh, basically be his own son. Um, so that was in chapter 18. And so then we also have the whole thing with Jonathan and David, how they were, uh, became good friends. Um, and then in verse 5 of chapter 18 we have, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Well, that's a huge change from where David just found himself not very long before. <clears throat> he was in a place of, of, of great... Um, he found himself in authority over all the men of war for Saul. And uh, he was in a good place. He was... The people... It says they... Uh, oh, yeah, it says he was accepted in the sight of all the people. So then... But then, so just about as fast as he went up, about that fast, he starts going back down again. So the very next verse, we have where um, David returned from a great slaughter, and they had, a, I guess, a great victory. And the woman come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing, and they say that David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. Well, that didn't feel very good to Saul when he heard that. It says he was very angry. And it says he eyed David from that day forward. So this is all happening just in this, this short period of time. Things are going from, from good, or from, how did you say, um, from bad to worse. Things are going good, now they're getting bad, and now they're getting even worse for David. Um, now in verse 10, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. Now, I was kind of intrigued by that. Why did God send an evil spirit upon Saul? Basically, it seems like that evil spirit was set against David. At least a lot of that. And I don't know, I I would like to think that God did that for a reason. um, Because from that day forward, Saul was set to kill David. And David was obviously running for his life after that. But I I guess... Um, you know, we, we can see how this all turned out. Now, for David, he's, he's at this point in his life, and he can't see what's happening next. Now, for us, you know, we can read a few chapters later, or we can see kind of where this all ends up. It all turns out well. But for David, you know, he's, he's here, and he, he can't see what's all coming. So, 
and I'm sure he was, I guess you could say, uh, he had ambitions of being, you know, great, maybe being the king elect, um, just like we all have a desire to do. But God had something else in mind for David to go through first before he, before he came, to, you know, before he was, he obviously became king later on. And we can see how David responds to what God is bringing to him. So in the next few more chapters, we won't read it all, but we, there's a few times where Saul asks, calls David into his chamber or whatever and wants him to play the harp for him. And there's two times where Saul tries to kill David with a javelin. And both times, that javelin missed David and didn't kill him. And he was safe, or he was saved. And I would like to think that God had his... God had his uh, hand on David's life there, and he was keeping him for a purpose, for a reason. So David finds himself in a very difficult place. We get to, uh, to chapter, let's see here, chapter 20. Um, and like I said, Jonathan and David had a very close relationship, and obviously Jonathan was close to Saul, and his father, and heard a lot of things, you know, about Saul talking about David, you know, what, you know, all the inside uh, information. So they had made up this uh, this little thing that, you know, David wanted to know how Saul was feeling about him. So anyway, at the end of chapter 20, uh, Jonathan shoots his arrows to let David know, because David was hiding somewhere behind a rock or something. So he wouldn't be seen, and Jonathan shoots his arrows to, to, to. Uh, they had kind of a, a code there, or whatever. If he shoots so many, then this is you know Saul is against him, and if he does this, then Saul isn't against him. Well, anyway, it turns out that Saul is against you, and he wants to kill you. So, so that was that was hard for David. Um, it says here. Um, as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times, and they kissed one another and wept one another until David exceeded. I thought that was interesting that David exceeded. I'm not quite sure what he exceeded in, if he was exceeding in, in weeping. I'm not sure, but it must have been difficult. So then um, they have a little talk there, and Jonathan goes into the city, and David, he departs, and he's on the run. He needs, he, yeah. So we come to chapter 21, and this is the chapter, I, I think it seems like somewhere in this time period is when David wrote um, Psalms 56. And it was interesting studying this chapter, and there's probably a lot of things, it's been an interesting Bible study, but um, <clears throat> I'd like to pull some things out of here. First of all, in the first verse there, it says he goes, where does he go first? He goes to Ahimelech the priest. And where's, where, where is Ahimelech the priest? He is in the sanctuary. He is in the tabernacle. <clears throat> or in the holy place. Is that where we go when we're in trouble? I just find it so interesting how how this all plays out so you know where does david go he's going to the house of god 
he's in trouble. Um, and then, and then, he asks for some bread. He goes to him like the priest, and there's different things we could bring out here, but I'm just going to pull out some things. Um, he says, "Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present." Now this uh, this bread is kind of interesting. So they have twelve loaves of bread in in the uh, sanctuary. You know where the priest was. That represented the twelve tribes of Israel. And they had two rows of six lined up, and each week the priest would replace those loaves of bread from the previous week with fresh loaves of bread. From my understanding, I think this bread was was supposed to be only eaten by the the priests. Because it was a hallowed. Um, and also, this bread, they say, was in excess of six pounds a piece. So it was, this was a huge piece of bread, or a huge loaf of bread. <clears throat> I'm not sure what our loaves of bread would normally be, maybe a couple pounds. I'm not sure if even, yeah, I'm not even sure what they would be. But anyway, it just, it, it, it appears like these, these, this bread was very, very large. So David asked for, well, he asked for bread, and it sounds like there was five, there was five loaves of bread. So the priest there, Ahimelech, he says, well, there's no common bread here. Um, This is hallowed bread. You know, you can't have this bread. Well, David was persistent, and he wasn't about to give up on getting some bread. And, uh... So then Ahimelech kind of gives some requirements here. He says, uh, if, but there's hallowed bread in verse 4, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. Then verse 5, and David answered the priest and said unto him, of, tru- of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy. Now I thought that was interesting. He says, um, not only have we kept ourselves, but we also are holy. Now, I'm not sure what the significance is of all that, but it seems after David said that, the priest, he kind of gave in. He's like, okay, you can have the bread. So he, uh, he, gives, him those, he gives him that bread. It was, you know, I guess 30 pounds of bread, lots of bread. And I, I guess I would like to think that, um, you know, David went in there hungry. He was... He was desperate. Um, And also, I forgot to mention one other thing. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay, so in the the next chapter, in chapter 22, I wanted to mention this in the beginning. Um... It seemed like David went to the sanctuary out of, um, or in desperation. He didn't go out of desperation. I don't know if you can see the little bit of a difference there. Um, He was desperate, but it wasn't the first time he had been to see Ahimelech. Because it says here in chapter 22, and there's so many things here, but Ahimelech kind of got in trouble with Saul then because of what he did for David. Um... But in verse 15 of the next chapter says, Ahimelech says, Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. 
So it appears like Ahimelech was like, this is not the first time David has been to see me. You know, he has been, you know, this is a place that David comes to a lot um, to inquire of God. So, um, you know, as I was thinking of that, you know, this is the first place that David went when he was in trouble. But it wasn't like he was out of a last resort. He was running to the temple. I don't know if you can see my see what I'm trying to say there. Um, <clears throat> so I guess what I'm trying to say is let's not wait to the last minute to run to run to God. Let's do it all the time <clears throat> because His presence is here. And then this another interesting thing is the bread is literally called the the bread of the presence. Yeah. It's called the bread of the presence, or presence bread. I thought that was interesting. Why did David go to the priest and ask for bread? That's what he asked for. Basically, what I see is he saw his need for God's presence in his life. I just, I'm just amazed at how this all, just, just how this can relate to us today. <clears throat> you know, as we in the New Testament, you know, God's presence can be with us wherever we are um, in the Old Testament you know with this hallowed bread it was they had to eat it in the in a certain place you know only certain people could have this so um, just I guess just the whole picture of how desperate are we and then also David further down in this chapter he asks he wonders if there's a sword um, here that he can he can have. Well, the priest says, um, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. And then David said, well, there is none like that. Give it to me. <laughs> that was uh, another interesting thing to note there. <clears throat> so David has his bread, the bread of the presence, and he has the sword of Goliath, that there was none like it. And now he's ready to go. <laughs> um, so then he flees to to uh, to Achish, the king of Gath. Well, I'm not sure what all this what all this was, but it it got really bad. Now David, he he goes there, and his and uh, King Achish's men are like, "Oh, isn't this uh, isn't this David?" one where the, they were saying that he killed his ten thousands and saw his thousands. And it would seem like it should be a good thing, but I guess to David he felt like they were um, doing it in a bad way or they were, yeah, I guess after his life again. So he, he resorts to acting like a madman, says he changed his behavior and feigned himself mad in their hands, scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Just a very, very strange situation there. Um, David, you know, appears like he was very low, in a very low state. Achish is like, Lo, you see, the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen, that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? <clears throat> so Achish was not impressed. So that didn't work out. So in chapter 22, David departs again and escapes to the cave, Adullam. And I won't really go much into this, but I, I was intrigued by here in verse 2. It says that everyone that was in distress, okay, first of all, it says 
when his father's house heard of it, they went down thither to him. And every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. Sounds like a very interesting group of people. I'm not sure what the significance of all that is. But what I found interesting here is in verse 3, he says, he goes, let's see, he went thence to Mizpah, Moab, and said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And that stood out to me. David was still, even in his very low state, he, he realized, he, I guess he was under the understanding that God is still going to do something for him. He's still going to get him out of this mess. Till I know what God will do for me. And he was waiting on that. <clears throat> so I would like to read Psalms 56 and just go through that with all that background. Um, And I guess just let the word speak to your heart. Psalms 56. It says, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wonderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? It... uh, I guess it kind of brought on a new meaning to me when I read this chapter after I kind of understood a little bit of where where David was at, <clears throat> what he was wrestling with. Um, it's interesting how in the first two verses he talks about how man would swallow him up. You know, he's he's in a low state. But then in verse 3, he he kind of changes his thoughts. And he's, he says, What time I'm afraid I would trust in thee, and God I would praise his word. And then, in verse 5, he, he, it seems he kind of starts vacillating a little bit and you know, goes back down to, to despair. Then, there's a few verses of that. But then, verse 9, he says, When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. And for the whole rest of the chapter, he's on a, he's on a good note. Because God is for him. So, I, I guess, hopefully, you can be encouraged with that. Um, I know we all have things we face um, every day. Um, Like David says, my enemies would daily swallow me up. Maybe maybe they're not big, huge enemies like David had, but we have an enemy every day. 
So let's remember that God is for us. We're not in this battle alone. Um, we have a big God, and he did, he did save David. He kept him through all of those things that he went through. And David t- came into a very good place and uh, ended up being the king of Israel. So, yeah, I'll just leave you with that. Another psalm is Psalm 34. When I was reading it, it appears like that psalm was also written in that same time period. So that might be another one to, uh, to look into. So I'll leave you with that. God bless you, and trust that uh, you can keep that little phrase in your, in your mind this next week. God is for you.